Hello everybody and welcome to episode 43 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy, bopping Mark Robinson over there on the couch. Just trying to keep myself awake. How are you, Mark? Uh, I'm starting you, to... you look cold. I'm starting to think I've got some sort of iron deficiency or something going on. Uh, the consistent need for sleep and uh the temperature has certainly dropped over the last couple of weeks it, it took a slight drop you and now it's it taking your, a... i think we said this on the show before is in your room you'll feel it the most yeah it does start to drop you're you're wearing the classic hoodie plus dressing gown combo there i i know the fashion of the season let and me tell is, you uh, we're not saying this like we, we don't record at the crack of dawn or the middle of the night like it's mid-afternoon and mark is reverting to wearing this now yeah, but I think the the sleepy the tiredness kind of compounds. It, it, the, it doesn't the help cold. With the feeling of the cold. No. Yeah. Um, so on top fine. of that as well, like if if last winter's out to go by, I think you feel that you are haven't quite acclimatized to the harshness of the Irish winter yet. Um. Well, you I were mean, having a bit of a rough time for the first month when you were here in the cold. I mean, to be fair, like we get it pretty bad back home, and I mean, where I was in China, like that was fucking cold as yeah. well um so yeah I, I so you're saying it's your fault you're the common thread here oh yeah no it's totally my fault okay. totally aware of that yeah, thanks i have a feeling we're in for a lot of snow this winter as well yeah because oh, that'd it's be not fun. as wet as it, like it was at this time last year i was saying to brian on the way back from the shop today that uh it had already been heavy raining on and off for at least a month like because yeah. we had a very bad summer last year and we didn't have much snow because it was raining all the time sure. it was washing yeah. it away so I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of snow and frost this winter. That would be fun. Oh, yeah. How it. does uh, your transport work when it comes to snow? It doesn't. <laughs> it's um, kind of similar to back home. Six years ago, and I only know it was six years ago because it was when I was living in Maynooth in college, mm-hmm. the country came to a fucking standstill. There was, like, it was the biggest snowfall, I think, in my lifetime, um, or at least since I'd been, in my living memory. So <clears throat> I can remember pretty much every winter since I was, like, four or five years old. So at least since then. Um and the country ran out of salt to grit the roads. Yeah, no. So I was actually going to talk about this. Um, do you have like at least once a year towards the start of winter where on the news they're like, do we have enough salt or not? It's the exact same conversation it's they have ne- every never, year. It had never been a concern before. We generally had very mild winters with a little bit of snowfall. This one winter though, it was fucking. Yeah. Um, Minuth, the town I was living in that had the college completely shut down. They closed down the roads in and out of the Jesus. town. It was that bad, and I made it, I, I was living there, and I made it on the last train out before they shut the train line Wow! to Dublin. <laughs> and when I got to Dublin, you think Dublin, right, it's the capital, it's going to be the one that's looked after the best. It was, no. un- it was under a fucking white sheet, <laughs> the whole city. Like, and I'm sure it, it looked was, pretty. I, yeah, it looked really, really nice. Very I remember scenic. taking a load of pictures, myself and Wayne were just like, how the fuck, we're so lucky we decided. We just up and decided, we, we just get a train now. Yeah. Because the buses had stopped. See, we, like, my area's never been that bad, and obviously we're on the way into London, so a lot of the lines, the the routes have to be kind of gritted, because otherwise, yeah, yeah, the business just falls apart. We had, you know, like, not the windowsills we have here in the house, where they're up at normal height, but you know houses that have the low windowsills in the front room? Yeah. Yeah, it was up Up to to the bottom of the window. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. So, um, it was real bad. Uh, We Um, had a a freak snowstorm. picture, we, we built a snow wall uh-huh. outside the house we went to build a snowman to scare the shit out of our other housemate when we came back drunk from the pub one night not to keep out the mexicans no no we were going to build a snowman looking in the front door ah. so that we could scare Paddy when he came down in the morning and uh the snow wouldn't pack into balls properly right so we took our recycling bin which was empty 
and we scooped all the snow into it and packed it tight and just built a snow wall yeah, sure. and put a face on it. Yeah, all right. At about two in the morning. But the problem with that was then everybody but Potty went home for the weekend and Potty kind of, he was very stubborn about it and said that he wasn't going to take the snow apart. It's like, I was going to have to do that when I got back. Unfortunately, it got just warm enough for it to defrost a little, but not warm enough for it to melt away completely. So every night it would refreeze. So by the time I came back on Monday, it was a wall of ice. <laughs> so I had to go Whoops. and get like the big things of sacks of salt and throw loads of salt all over it and yeah. attack it with um, like tools. I mean, imagine that in a way that was kind of fun as well. Uh, in, sort of, but I had places to be. Well, sure. <laughs> and it was still very no, cold. We, we had, a, had a freak snowstorm a couple of years ago in like April, just out of nowhere. Just yeah. one day it was all fine, the next day, <laughs> chaos. Complete and utter <laughs> chaos. Um, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, Mark, what have you been doing this week? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been catching up on... on viewing stuff yeah. watching you don't stuff. watch things i don't watch things it's really weird i mean like, I, I observe people someone who in terms of video games like you're on the cutting edge of pop culture in that sort of way because i am i, I had a friend last night uh, so i watched stranger things yesterday watched it all in you're one you're reasonably good at keeping up with movies mm, yeah because i they can hold movies my attention around cinemas like i, I it, think you're kind of you're not as great at going back on stuff that you should have watched that you've missed. Yeah, yeah. here's the thing. Because I've, I've said before that when it comes to, like, video games, I have to kind of try and play something in, like, a couple of sittings. Otherwise, my attention, I, I lose it. Uh, and RPGs are the worst. If I come You've back to an... R- no, I haven't. <laughs> if I come back to an RPG, like, two weeks after playing it... This is classic ADD. Yeah, it probably is. It probably is. And it's the same with television. Like, I can't watch something for a couple of episodes, leave you it for a week. You just don't watch TV shows, really. Uh, no. No. Yeah. Because they're just too long. Like, films are fine because they're, what, an hour and a half, two hours at best, and then I'm good to go. But over a season, the TV show might be 22 hours. And I can't I can't be dealing with that. That's 22 hours in Stardew Valley. So, right? I, like, I... Since you've moved here, I will periodically tell you to watch things. Yeah. And I know that... I fully know that if you actually sat down and tried, you would... I probably be would. like, yes. Yeah. Um, like, so you, you, you I, I'm had... already telling you right now, in six months' time, I'll be going to you, hey, have you heard this, of this Westworld? I hear it's pretty good. Yeah, or like, I was thinking more like you'll have watched Jessica Jones and Luke Cage by then. Well, I, I started the first episode of Jessica Jones and it wasn't yeah. kind of grabbing me, so... It's yeah, great. No. But yeah, no, two things. Uh, first of all, Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, you've spoken about it before. Oh, I love Stranger Things, sir. Um, it's like, what if Silent Hill had a baby with the 80s? Yeah, it's very, very much 80s. It's like... To say it's a homage to one particular thing will be doing a disservice to the other 85 things that it's a homage to as well. Um, but just, like, kind of general uh, feelings. Saying, by the way, my pre-podcast strategy worked. Uh, I decided to stop the cat from attacking the door this week. Yeah. I'd feed him a load of ham and it'd make him sleepy. Yeah. He's passed out <laughs> on the table. <laughs> I know, that's, that's is that why you're trying to feed me all the time? You just want me to fall asleep and not annoy you? Anyone, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Okay, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, no general feelings. Like I think it's, um, I think it's very good. I think it's very well acted. Uh, Winona Ryder puts in a fine performance. Yeah. Um, some of the the monster designs are <laughs> the shoplifting thing really set her back a long time in her career. Yeah, but hey, she was but great. Everyone has a one of my favorite, of uh, like one of my favorite underrated movies. You ever seen Heather's? No. With her and Christian Slater. Okay. It's really, really good. No. It's really, really good. Um, I the the flow of the eight episodes, um, like it, it doesn't do the kind of 
traditional trope of like there's a big cliffhanger on every single episode like there's a few that does have it but some of them have like nice little arcs within some of the episodes mm-hmm. um I, I think it's very well acted the, the actual kind of production and the filming of it is i i love it it um the intro sequence and it kind of zooms the into the episode theme song theme song like it's very kind of 80s early 90s in that regards the um kind of set designs like the old like 80s uh, televisions um all those kind of throwbacks you know it really gives you that kind of sense the of, hair the fashion yeah it's very much kind of placed in that time um the soundtrack is obviously incredible um like in terms of the actual kind of story and what's going on again it's it's so much of a homage to other things that why my one complaint is that there is a lack of originality about it and i do hope that for the second season they have like a place they have this thing here that's all set in stone and then they can kind of extrapolate more on that. Yeah, well, I think even though the the concept in itself is not the most original thing, I think they find new and interesting ways to twist and subvert tropes well, within the, the genre. I mean, I think, like, as you said there... The, Hashtag justice for Barb. Yeah. <laughs> there are the... Um, the, the kind of Silent Hill threads yeah. in, in there, and I do think yeah, but it's hard that... not to think of Silent Hill when you see the upside down. Yeah, no, exactly, absolutely. Um, and I like as well that there are a lot of uh, questions that aren't like directly answered, um, which I have said before on the show is the best sci-fi and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff open to interpretation. Like I'd have been absolutely fine if they just kind of closed it off there as just this closed loop of eight episodes, and that's mm-hmm. it, and then go back to it. But I could also tell that from sort of the last couple of sequences that obviously they had it in mind that they wanted to come back and explore further. Um, and there's enough material there to go back to some of those questions that weren't answered. Uh, so yeah, overall, like a, a how big... crazy talented are those kids as well? I know, right? The kids are great. Um, I was reading. Have you seen the one your man with the the long curly hair? Him singing. Dustin. No. Have you seen him sing? No. He's an incredible singer. Really? Voice, as it turns out, yeah. <laughs> They've been showing up all sorts of places. I'm sure. I'm yeah. like. I mean, I've seen loads of kind of cosplay, uh, loads of different kind of geek conventions. Basically, our friends uh, at Pray for Patrick dressing as Barb for Halloween. No. He shaved off his beard and dressed as Barb for Halloween. <laughs> What? Fucking incredible. <laughs> it's so good. Alright, sure. I'll check that out. Jesus uh. Christ. But um but yeah, no, overall like a uh, big, big fan of it. I, I'm obviously no one to kind of um be someone who you should be influenced by to go and watch something else because I don't fucking watch <laughs> you're anything. not a professional TV critic is what you're talking No. Um you know, I might go and watch Breaking Bad now, like reading it with the times. <laughs> no, probably not. The wire. There's no fucking way I'm spending that amount of time trying to watch that. And then the other thing, I'm going to give us our first anime review here at Link to the Cast. <laughs> I'm taking us down that particular oh. well. No, so I've been seeing pictures of this very kind of unassuming looking bald man. Ah, yeah, because when you wrote anime review, I was like, what have you been watching? And as soon as you said that, I was like, ah, now I remember. Yeah, it. I've been seeing pictures of this unassuming bald man on people's like avatars and whatnot over the last year or so. I'm like, what the fuck is this from? And so I found out it's from this thing called One Punch Man. Um, so One Punch Man was originally a 2009 webcomic, uh, and, like, the art style can be best described as, um, amateurish, shall we say. Simplistic. Simplistic, yeah. That kind of, um, Dr. Katz, uh, home movies sort of kind of visual style without so many of the squiggly lines and whatnot. Uh, and then it was turning to... Home movies. Yeah, I like home movies as well. Um, 
but then it was turned into an actual kind of professional proper looking manga in 2012 and then last year it was released as an actual full-blown anime over i think 12 episodes and it's fucking mental now a lot of anime is mental you know but what i like about this is it has a nice little twist um when you think of anime you usually think of kind of mech robots and um people standing around for 20 minutes throwing Going, yeah yeah <laughs> charging up for an attack in the next episode yeah now, i love dragon ball z but i i love on. dragon ball z <laughs> but i am the most self-aware man when it comes to not realizing that like those 500 episodes could easily be 250 uh-huh. at best i'm kind of one punch man i think i don't know if it was intentionally trying to do it but it does have a laugh at the expense of that because you'll have some fucking ginormous monster of hellish proportions banging on about whatever for five minutes while Saitama, the main character, is kind of looking with that unassuming bored, blank. Blank, blank look in his face like, yeah, can we can we get on with this already? And then before you know it, he throws this one punch and this monster just disintegrates into a thousand pieces. And it's never not funny. And like, the, the size and the scale of these monsters kind of ups in ante over the 12 episodes, but the, the end result is the same every time and it's never not funny. <laughs> But what happens about four episodes into it is the the show kind of takes this plot twist that you're not expecting, where uh, him and he has this... Don't spoil the plot twist. Well, I'll give at least a little bit of a a kind of idea. Basically, him and he has an apprentice. um, Two Punch Man? No, no. But basically, he... missed opportunity. He um, has the kind of traditional trope uh, of the kind of plot device in terms of anime because he's out for vengeance for like his family trying to avenge them and this sort of stuff um they go to like a superhero uh, college if you will they have to get a license to be professional superheroes which is why saitama has uh has never really kind of had any fame or anything other than the fact that he's this unassuming average bald man uh, is also just because he is not signed up to this license uh, to get a superhero license and you have like class c class b class a and then class s um, and what happens is there's a practical test and the uh, kind of paperwork test. And on the practical test, he gets like absolute full marks. Like he breaks every record they have. But then he just about passes on the, on the paperwork test. So like he's the strongest superhero there is, but he's in the lowest class with like, um, the fuck's his name? Mundem Rider, who's a super, superhero who rides around on a bicycle. Um, or there is... Uh, tank top tiger man who's just a large bloke in a tiger kind of printed tank top who's very very jealous about Saitama and it's like it throws these curveballs every episode that you're just not expecting um and it's genuinely like genuinely I found it very very funny um and that was watching the 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 Japanese um version of it I think there is an an American dub of it um but yeah really really funny like uh, it kind of held my attention I watched it all in two days um just because this segment brought to you by Crunchyroll. Yeah, brought to you by Crunchyroll. <laughs> if you want to send your coins over now, we'd appreciate it. Thank you very much. Send your bitcoins. Yeah. Um, uh, what about you? What have you been doing? Uh, I did a couple of things this week. Uh, I went to. I was. In, I spent a couple of days in Dublin. Um, going to a show. I'll talk about later. But before I went to those, I went to see a little film. Uh, that won the Palm d'Or this year in Cannes, and it was. You've just seen the photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick. Um. I went to the, the Irish Film Institute, which I do recommend to people to go see kind of weirder art house films. Stuff that doesn't get into your average Odeon. 
you can go up to the IFI. It's very nice. You can have coffee and a cake beforehand. Oh wow! It's one of those places where they, there's a pass. There's a passcode on the tickets for the toilets, so you know, like, not just anyone's getting in there and ruining the place. But uh, I went to see I Daniel Blake, winner of the Palm Door this year, directed by Ken Loach, and. Boy, is it not a popcorn movie. No. Um, it's <laughs> fucking sobering. Uh, basically, it's about this guy, Daniel Blake, uh, from Newcastle, who suffers a heart attack before the film starts. So you, you're, you've you joined him through his, when he's recovering from his heart attack. And he's applying for his disability benefits because he is not cleared by his doctor to go to work. Uh, in the process for applying for his disability benefits, he is told that... Uh, he has too many points. It's done at a point system to determine whether you're eligible for disability. He has too many points to be eligible for disability, according to their medical professional, who isn't a doctor. They're just a medical professional, air quotes. So he's not allowed to apply for disability, even though like a battery of doctors have told him he's not able to work. Okay. So he's left with appealing that decision and also applying for job seekers allowance, even though if he gets interviewed for a job and gets offered a job he can't take the job so he's wasting his time the employer's time all sorts of things like that and it's all about the the struggle to not slip through the cracks in the welfare state and the inhuman way in which a lot of people in that situation are treated because he befriends this uh, young woman who she's a single mother with two kids who has been rehomed from London because they hadn't the whatever system there is over there doesn't want to pay for rents on council houses in London so they've shifted her up to Newcastle away from her family with her kids so Daniel Blake befriends her meets her at the job centre plus or whatever it's called and um, they kind of start relying on each other and it's it's all about the, the struggle to just stay alive when you're in a horrible situation like that whether it's you're a victim of circumstance like Daniel Blake is or you're a victim of maybe your socioeconomic status like the the girl is in it and her kids and yeah it's one of these films like I said it's not a popcorn film it's one of these very serious films it's obviously an Oscar Beatty film in as much as like it is um it's dead serious it won Palm Door as I said and can um it's incredibly well written it makes you viscerally angry it kind of haunts you afterwards like you you do think quite a lot about what's happening it probably wasn't the best thing to go see right before i went for a weekend of programs fun but it's an important film that i think people should watch i think all the center performances are stunning really really it's one of the most genuinely doesn't feel like acting it feels like this is just it because it's not lines and delivery of dialogue isn't it isn't i'm not saying in films they're normally stilted but there's a certain cadence to when you're acting Mm, yeah you know that there's even when you're trying to make dialogue as realistic as possible it still seems like artificially written genuine dialogue but this genuinely feels like it might as well be a documentary. And you've heard that there are a lot of stories in the news about people who fall through the cracks in the welfare state and end up destitute or dead from it. And yeah, you will pretty much... Uh, you will leave that film very upset and very angry. There are a lot of people who 
have reported going to see this film and bursting into tears during it because it's so unbelievably sad. There's a wit to it as well because the guy, Daniel Blake, is great. He's he's really kind of take no shite northern fella. Yeah. And uh, there's some comedy in that, like some pretty dark comedy, but comedy nonetheless. There is a re I think the one that got me the like genuinely the most choked up in the whole thing. There's a scene, and if anyone goes and sees it, they'll know immediately. There's a scene that takes place in a food bank that is really fucking hard to watch, and it's really hard to get through. But I would recommend it to anybody. It's popping up in the odd Odeon for people. So if it comes up and you're looking for something to watch, I would thoroughly recommend. If you want to have a really sad day, I don't think it's a film. Because it's not a popcorn film, because it's so serious, and because it leaves you with these emotions, I don't know if it's one I'd be in a hurry to rewatch mm. because of that. Um, but I really, really, really liked it. It's it's very, very good. I mean, it's good that there are um, films or anything that's kind of tackling this sort of stuff because, for the most part, um, you know, a lot of people are turning a blind eye to yeah. the fact that this is a very prevalent issue going yeah. on. Um, I don't know how much over here, but certainly back mm. home. Uh, yeah. like, well, we we don't have the the food banks no, well, situation like we, we we it's pretty bad yeah. here, but it's um yeah yeah. It's, but it's I know horrible. like over here, there's uh, a lot of issues with um uh, with the likes of homelessness. I know it's a big problem uh-huh. here. Um, and kind of cancel uh, rates for flats and houses, mm-hmm. you know, exponentially going up, which is a problem for us back home as well. Um. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like something that I'm interested in, but I don't know if I have the the, the soul fortitude. to get through it. The fortitude, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing I did, much of the cheerier side, I went to both nights of uh, OTT, that's Over the Top Wrestling's WrestleCon weekend in Dublin, up in the Tivoli Theatre. For those of you who are either Irish or would be inclined to go to Dublin for a weekend for something like this, uh, Over the Top Wrestling is, every single month, it's a great show. Uh, I never read... A couple of them have not been like massively blow away shows, but there's always enough on it that for the price you're paying for the ticket, which is generally very negligible, um, it's well worth your while. Mm. Um, WrestleCon this weekend had brought in a few people from that you might have heard from American or Japanese wrestling in one case. Um, so they had Abyss from TNA, they had X Pac from back in the day in the in the WWF, and they had Melina. Uh, former Divas champion in there and uh, a guy who a lot of people were surprised that some people in the crowd still recognise best from Noah Chris Hero uh, yeah. <laughs> um, as well as a mixture of talent from the UK like Ryan Smile who is kind of OTT is pretty much his home promotion even though he himself is from Birmingham it's the one he has been there yeah, since he's, day one he designed the OTT logo he's not really been kind of picked up by a lot which, of the which bigger which is incredible English. because the more I watch him I'm like this guy's really good yeah. he's really good um, they, look there's always going to be one person yeah, you know, that, that's yeah just, that gets missed out it's just the rule but uh, then you have the likes of Marty Skrull is on the show who for my money is my favourite wrestler in the world right now mm-hmm. so I always love getting to see Marty in Dublin it's a good time um yeah, boat nights, really fun. I went to boat nights and I went to the Q&A on night two beforehand, mainly so that I could get my seat because it was a bit of a clusterfuck getting in the first night, the way they had the queues. No one knew who was queuing in what queue. Um, some great matches on there. Uh, Chris Hero, Ryan Smile was ungodly great. Chris Hero having a good match. I know, yeah. Really. He At one point, he near decapitated young Ryan Smile with a discus pump kick. 
which was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also let, I think it was after his match on night two, Chris Hero let uh, the referee, Foxy, give him a bicycle kick. Yeah. <laughs> and he sold it like a champ. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that the highlight of the weekend was Marty's Girl Ryan Smile too. the the rematch they've been building up for quite a few months in OTT. Yeah, I showed the build up the the, the video was great. Video. The, the preview video was yeah. great. Uh, the first night is up on demand now. If you look for over the top wrestling on Vimeo, if you're not somebody who um, can get to Dublin but would like to check out the Graps, their shows are re- fairly reasonably priced. It's usually seven or nine ninety nine for a show. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good promotion. It's really fun to go. I don't know if I'm gonna go next month. Because uh, the ticket price has gone up slightly and I don't really have much of an interest in paying that much money to go see Tommy Dreamer. That's fair. <laughs> God in, bless Tommy Dreamer. In 2016, that God is God bless fair. him. Saw him at the, re- the, the actual WrestleCon show in Dallas. That was probably enough That's right. for a lifetime. There are enough money marks out there where uh, you won't... Yeah, you, you, your seat will be taken. <laughs> the best when they announced Tommy Dreamer, everyone went crazy, and there was the like the cadre of people I was with. They were kind of looking around, going, "Really, <laughs> really?" Is <laughs> I remember we were in the crowd when they announced that uh, Tommy and Zack Saber Jr. and Marty Skrull were all coming for the first time, and everyone freaked out. Yeah, then yeah. they freaked out at about the same level for Dreamer. Well, I remember was it the first or second show we went to where they announced Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson and yeah. I, me it and Amo. The first one we went to, yeah, uh, me and Amo, because we missed the next one then because we were in Dallas. Oh. We went to one before Dallas. But yeah, me. I just remember Amo's expression of just like. No. You should have seen. Have you seen the the picture I tweeted? I tweeted Amo's exact reaction when Melina came out. No. Yeah, you should see his face. It's on my Twitter feed. No, I'm um, sure it's. Mm. But yeah, go see OTT. It's a fun promotion. It's good to support indie wrestling, sure. as they say. And even Chris Hero was tweeting all sorts of praise about it. Yeah, when I saw he was that. Coming home, they they did another night up in Galway then that involved the Rubber Bandits. Uh, getting involved in a match with the Lord of the Manor, Paul Tracy. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really good show. Very much enjoyed my time there. Oh, and the the show was stolen at the Q&A by two men dressed as Los Conquistadors who began asking Marty's girl questions in broken English. It was... Marty uh, popped and started laughing and said to them, oh, you guys are great. Oh, what are your names? And one of them went, Me llamo Conquistador numero uno. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loved it. Anyway, shall we talk about video games? Let's talk about some video games. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, I'm going to go first here because I don't really have much to add. I I don't think either of us are going to have much to add this yeah. week. Well, that's good. We'll breeze through this sure. section because I'm right. going to spend a lot of time on the preamble yeah, this week. Yeah, cool. That works. Uh, I beat Mafia 3 last night. Uh-huh. It's Wednesday night. We're recording this on Thursday for once. Usually record on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, beat Mafia 3. I stand by pretty much exactly what I said, except I would give an even higher rating to the story than I did before. I think this is one of the best stories of the entire year. And it will be that will be featuring heavily in uh, our discussions for best story, perhaps in the game of the year awards. Um, and I do think the I talked about the repetitive gameplay of your base level turning rackets over missions. I do think as the game progresses and as you start taking out the lieutenants and the capos on your way to get Sal Marcano, I think they change up the missions enough that it's not repetitive. In the back half of the game. And I think the game is all the better for that. 
And with the exception of some weird things with uh, light sources, I got to complete the entire game without many hideous glitches. Yeah. All, which was strange because I've seen some hilarious glitches in GIF form coming through from that game. But that's pretty much it. Yeah, I really like it. Um, we'll be talking a bit more about it in the news. But uh, yeah, well done 2K and Hangar 13. Yeah, there's a few bits and pieces in in the news that I'm interested to talk about regarding Matthew Free, but like I've asked all the questions and you've kind of expressed your feelings over the last couple of weeks. So yeah, I don't think there's too much more to add to Matthew Free at this point. No, it's a good game. I wouldn't rush out and pay for pay the um pay for it new right now if you're if you have other things to be playing. Is it definitely league contender for your mm, seven hat seven out of ten yeah, game? Yeah, no, it's my front runner for that now at the moment. Yeah, the uh, what we call it the honorary Mad Max uh, winner. I don't, we still haven't actually even sat down and thought of a name for it. No. I like the eh, game of the year. <laughs> I like that. Sure. Because it makes people who say it have to say, eh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's my front runner for that at the moment. I'd have to sit down and think about what else, but it definitely scratches that itch. Where I think with Mad Max, the thing that was keeping me coming back was the gameplay was actually really good in Mad Max. It's very satisfying, the violence in it. Um, for this, whereas the gameplay was fine, I think the story and the documentary slant that it had as well uh, was what kept me coming back. Cool. This bloody-minded tale of vengeance in the in the South. Uh, and by the way, I can say now, I can attest to the fact that the mission where you go and gun down the clan is very satisfying. Is it now? Yes. I threw Molotov cocktails at them. <laughs> did they scream and... They did. Yeah? No, they did. Cool. It was great. Yeah. That's good. They're called the Southern Union in ah. this. Would you believe there's a lot of Confederate flags involved with the really? operation? Yeah, really? Really? Uh, so, yeah, what do you have to add to this? What have you been playing? So, I don't really want to talk about the game too much because it's pretty... It's, it's, it's not a recent one. It's not. It's very much in the criteria for a book club feature. Yeah, but Some people may have heard of this one. But because, considering the announcement um, of Red Dead 2, I've gone back and, because your Xbox One is down here, <laughs> um, I've been playing through Red Dead Redemption. I've sunk a good eight to ten hours in over the last couple of days or so um and i i don't know about you but i played through red dead once and then i never went back to it yeah i kind of like that with big open world games mm -hmm. i generally don't replay them no and so i had forgotten a lot of what happens in that game like i remember the kind of intro sequence i remember the last you know that very kind of famous last sequence of the game but then there's a lot of the middle ground there that I just, as things were happening, they were coming to me. But as it was happening, I was like, oh yeah, this happened. Oh yeah, that happened. And one of the things um, I really just, I appreciate even more now for whatever reason, is just the fucking immersive experience that that game offers. More so than any other Rockstar game. And I think part of it is, they can get away with this, is that because... So, so so many parts of the environment the environment in, in general is kind of barren you know when you have these small little settlements there's no more people kind of running around than you would have in any other GTA game but because the settlements are so, so small and everything is so kind of isolated that same amount of people now feels like a kind of bustling town if yeah. you will um, and just that that and on top of um, when you're kind of off the beaten path and you stumble across someone, it just all adds to just creating this world, you know? Mm. And it the, feels lived in. It does, it really does. And the one fucking thing more than anything else I've, since I've been playing 
is the uh, episode of the, the mission when you go into Mexico for the first time. And as you get on your horse and you slowly walk up the, the bank and then you kind of look over and you see the horizon, you see like all of Mexico and that song starts playing for the first time. Um, and it's like the first time you really have a, a full actual song playing because for the most part, and what I like about Red Dead as well, is that the way that they, they have music is they just have little flourishes of like trumpets and whatever for Mexico and little flourishes of guitar while you're in, in America. Um, but here, just this song is playing in the background and like usually the first thing I want to do is I want to press start, I want to look into the map, see where my waypoint is, set the waypoint and off I go. But I didn't want to press pause. I didn't want to break the um, the immersion of this song playing and seeing the sunset. So I just kind of saw like where's the crow flies where I needed to go and just went off in that direction. And it's like one of the most cinematic experiences. I think that's the best kind of term to use. Yeah. It's like that cinematic experience. Uh, and I I'd completely forgotten about it. But as soon as it was happening, I was like, oh fucking hell, I remember this bit. I just kind of went with it, was running along the river, uh, kind of train going past me, this song playing. I was like, oh my god, I, I remember now. I remember why this game is as good as it is. And like... <laughs> sound like Father Jack when he sobered up. Yeah, that yeah. Time. I remember! I remember! But, still on that feckin' island! But, and speaking of that, Irish's fucking Paddy Charms accent that he's got going on yeah. is fucking hilarious. But the thing is as well, like, in terms of the gameplay, it doesn't do that much difference of, like, an any of the other Rockstar games and the kind of run third person cover behind a a wall sort of your typical kind of Gears of War type of gameplay like it doesn't do that any better than the Gears of War games and probably actually does it worse but it's one of those things that there's enough other stuff going on with the game that it's 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 not a game breaker I don't think Um, yeah Red Dead like it's a good game who would have thought um, I'm sure at some point there'll be a book club feature and we can really go into that some more. But that is pretty much all I have been playing this week. Well then, to the news! News on the mark! Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, No Man's Sky has reared its head again in the news. Mm, yeah. Game that is still, it's yet to have any of those big content updates they were planning and talking about. Hello Games have still not been talking to the community, tell them what's going on. Um, uh, and this week, someone, someone did a bold, someone got into their Twitter account allegedly. Yeah, so there so, was a tweet sent out yeah, by Hello Games. Hello Games saying, No Man's Sky was a mistake. Um, Everyone, as you can imagine, went awa <laughs> and go away. Uh huh. Um, so this is this is from BBC. This is how big this news was. It was on BBC. Mm, yeah. A gaming company says a tweet posted on its account, which read, "No Man's Sky was a mistake, was a hack." Hello Games, which first announced the title in 2014, deleted the tweet, but it, the original post was retweeted more than a thousand times before the company made its account private. Fake emails were also sent to a gaming site claiming developer Sean Murray had posted it to get back at Sony. Another claimed a disgruntled employee had sent out the message. They screenshot the deleted post. These are the tweets supposedly from Sean Murray, which Hello Games said weren't sent for him. Server hacked. We're beginning Mr. Robot episodes as quickly as possible looking for answers. Episode 5 is a cracker. Just, I, I laughed. Yeah. 
And if anything's a mistake, it was using LinkedIn without two-factor authentication. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I popped for both of yeah. those. Yeah, the, the, the thing that became a bit of a what the hell is going on here was... Um, after the first tweet, when it was like, okay, apparently this is from... What doesn't help here is that both those accounts have pretty much been dark yeah, for quite that, a while. Yeah, like, by no means are Hello Games and Sean Murray uh, kind of clear of um, of being innocent here. Um, due to a lack of communication. But, yeah, there was the... Okay, apparently this is from a disgruntled employee. So, like, is this an actual thing? Is this the actual feeling that Hello Games has? And then, yeah, it's come out that, no, all these emails, everything in here, the servers of Hello Games were hacked. Uh, the tweet itself was a hack, which I presumed is what it was in the first place. Um, yep, I mean, it got them speaking, it got them talking, if nothing else. We've heard nothing from them since August. No, no. Um, well, no, after, I think it was, like, a couple of days after the game's released, it was pretty much kind of... Well, the last time we heard from either account, the first, last time we heard from Sean Murray was right after the game came out. The last time we heard from Hello Games was the 24th of August. Oh, is that the one saying that we're going to we fix are, some things? We're not shifting the big content updates till everything's 100% fixed, yeah. but it's not 100% fixed. So, yeah, there are, you know, there are some people out there who are still very unhappy about this game and are refusing to let it die. And, uh, I mean... I mean, I know that you were kind of perfectly content with what the game yeah. is, but I know you're certainly I, looking forward exactly to... Exactly what I said was going to happen happened. It's like I knew that I was having a whale of a time with it while it was there, but I knew that as soon as busy season started and big games started coming out, I was going to lose focus on it because they hadn't put those big updates in place to keep my hooks in. Mm. So like pretty much as soon as the likes of FIFA and, and shit started coming out, I was gone. I haven't played it in a month or two now. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious to see what happens because, I mean, I'm, I wonder what the relationship between Hello Games and Sony is like at this point. I would say fractured at best. Yeah. You know? All I know is when I go into GameStop, or when I go into CEX, you cannot move for the copies of that thing that have been traded in. Yeah. Yeah, which leads me to believe that maybe doing big updates isn't that big a benefit because there's not that many people that, not as many people as you would think still have it. No, I mean, it would be interesting, obviously... I have it digitally, so I'll always have yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, obviously there was the the install base to begin with, but yep, I've seen a lot of copies of No Man's Sky in both CEX yeah. and GameStop. And there were a lot of stories that on Steam it has no more than a thousand concurrent players at its peak in the day. Jeez. Which is tough. Uh, so, yeah, that's... To say that has been botched is putting it fucking mildly. Yeah. But, I mean, if they can get the patches out... I mean, I, I imagine part of it is they realise there's no point putting those patches out now because we are deep, deep into the uh, busy, season. busy season of video games. Yeah, well, I think maybe the thing, the strategy that should be done is that during this period they should be shifting the small Delta patches that will just fix what's in the game already. Mm-hmm. And then maybe in January when things kind of tend... The only thing that's out in January, as far as I know, is Resident Evil. Um so maybe January when things start to quieten down you go oh by the way here's our big update where yeah. we add the ability to buy freighters or do this or that yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. moving on anyway to slightly happier news Mafia 3 a game that I said I quite enjoyed and is in contention for my <laughs> game of the year Mafia 3 sets new 2k sales record despite review anomalies <laughs> 
So it's a game that, oh, like I said, my. it's reviewed kind of... You can get reviews all across the spectrum. There are people who really, really like it. There are people who really, really don't. I would definitely err in the middle, leaning up. Uh, definitely don't think it's uh, reinvented the wheel or anything like that, but I think it's a perfectly serviceable and fun experience. Regardless... It is the fastest selling game in publishing label 2K Games history. The company shipped 4.5 million units of the title in its first week. Eyes are now set on passing the total 2K set overall best selling title Borderlands, which stands at 10 million units. Note the distinction between 2K and Take Two. Grand Theft Auto has passed 70 million, <laughs> bringing the total GTA sales series up to 250 million units. That's really good for Mafia 3. For a, like, for an IP that doesn't have the kind of cachet that GTA has, not, or even Saints Row, not, yeah. uh, for it to set the 2K games record is pretty great. Because there's a lot of games with, I would have thought, bron stronger brand identity under that 2K banner, and it's outdone the lot. Well, it had a lot of publicity up, up uh, to its release. A really good publicity campaign, I must say. The, um, the trailers, I remember, they're what got me on. Well, that and the, the fact, feel of the trailer, uh, like a couple of days beforehand, they were like, "Oh yeah, you can shop the KKK." You know, mm. that kind of ruffled some feathers, for better or for worse. Um, the key thing with this, and um, so we was talking about last week with uh, Bethesda and them grinding and axing all reviews until the day before a release. Yeah. Um, and Matthew Free was also under this um, ideology as well. A day of or day before, yeah, yeah, run, run about that. And so they've been critiquing the, the review scores um, that the game has been receiving. And like a the lot... The popular thing developers say now is that because they've decided to release on the day that review outlets are taking it out on them, which I don't necessarily go along no. with. This, no. I mean, here's the thing. If you release... That said, I think IGN gave Doom like a seven something. Well, like everyone's got different opinions and blah blah blah. Wrong opinions. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the thing: if you release a game on the, or if you give a game to uh, a reviewer on the day it's release, and they have to rush through the game and rush a review out, of course that review is not going to be a fair reflection. And I don't put that down as the fault of the reviewer; they are doing their job and probably being rushed by an EIC or whoever further up. You've put that upon yourself as a publisher to make this game as difficult to access um like any kind of yeah to me i don't not see the problem reflection with, of that game i don't see the problem your fault. with I, I think both masters are served by giving them the game early but putting embargo until the day before so that the reviews are given the time you know the reviewers have the time to play the game and complete it and write the review before the embargo lifts and that way, still, if they don't want word getting out about the game until the day before or the day of, that's still true as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to me, both sides are benefiting from that. Like, say you give the, the IGNs and the GameSpots and the um, the giant bombs of the world, you give them the game seven to ten days in advance, but they're not allowed to say anything about it until the day before or the day of, like you wanted to them anyway. Mm. I think everyone benefits from that. I don't think really either side would be annoyed about that um, and so but i've been seeing uh so mafia 3 or 2k they had a kind of press release today saying about that uh this is the fastest selling 2k game uh currently and uh they were talking about how they felt that some of the reviews didn't weren't a fair reflection and they were talking about um all the effort that had gone into the story and the characters and blah 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 the the one thing that they missed out on 
was the gameplay. And as you said earlier, that the gameplay is kind of the eh kind of factor of that game. And here's the thing. It's called a game for a reason. Yeah. You kind of need some not, gameplay. That's the thing. Like, I, I feel like I'm bashing it. Like, the gameplay is not bad. No, 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 no. It's just nothing new. But it's nothing new. It's a 7 out of 10. Yeah. And a lot of the reviews out there... Yeah. Like, I think the game is probably Review as a 7 out of 10. I think the game is probably an 8. I think the gameplay is like a 6.57, and mm. the strength of the phenomenal story brings it up then to about yeah. an 8. But on top of that as well, I, one of the things that's doing my head at the moment is apparently a 7 out of 10 is a bad thing now, you know? Yeah. Like, fucking, you go into any comment section, and part of my problem is just I'm wasting my time doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you go into any comment section, and anything that is a 7 is like, oh, this is just, this is such a, a bollocks review, and you're just trashing this game. It's like, when when did a 7 out of 10 become a bad thing, yeah. you know? Communities need to exercise the restraint and managing of expectations otherwise they are going to lead short and unhappy lives from the stress i yeah sure the wii u <laughs> the wii u lives on yeah claimed. this is according to mcv earlier this week reports suggested that the production of the struggling console will come to an end this friday that was november 4th however kotaku reports that nintendo has told japanese site it media that these claims are incorrect insisting there is no change to our continuing wii u production that report was not true even though the Nintendo Switch is slated to go on sale, Wii U production is scheduled to continue. Uh, we have been hearing things like this for several months now, that the Wii U is... They're stopping production any day now. It's stopping. And I don't necessarily see what the problem would be with them doing that, because... I can't imagine they're selling a lot at the moment. They can't be selling a lot at the moment. The price still hasn't fucking dropped. No, that's the mad one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you would think there's a new console out in five months that they'd want to shift as many Wii U's as possible think... before the mothers and fathers yeah. find out there's a new one. Even though I went into GameStop the other day and they've already got pre-orders for the Switch up on the posters. <laughs> well, uh, we'll be talking about and that. And I have, I have my Switch pre-ordered now. I have, I have my 20 quid down. Yeah. But we'll be talking about, yeah, Switch pre-orders later on here, not to gild the lily too much. But yeah, it's weird. The price hasn't dropped. They're not intending to stop production. This is a very weird strategy. Uh, and that's kind of what would lead me to believe, you know, we've seen the the images of some sort of Splatoon game and some sort of Mario Kart game. Mm-hmm. This would lean me on the side of if there is a plan for even a short period of time to keep the two things in production in parallel to each other, that that might have been a new Mario Kart and Splatoon we saw and not just um upgraded versions of the ones we have well i'm still uh, just because of that um king, especially because the, the king boo has been the the kind of thing of that especially beca- <laughs> especially because the the other thing i will say about that is, um about people saying that this, this upgrade like an upgrade of the current one i don't see where you can put the wii u discs and the switch uh, because no. they are based on cartridges, yeah, which would lead me to believe that they. That, are... It would just be you. It would be a download, a digital only. <sighs> that would be. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's peculiar. Um, I don't understand it. I mean, Nintendo are a peculiar company, and they do these things every now and again. I uh, like my Wii U. I've always said I, I like, like my, my Wii, U. Wii U. I'm fine with it. But, but like that thing was monumentally botched. Out. Yeah, like do you remember the the Wii, the micro Some Wii? Some of my favorite games of the last five or six years are on the Wii U. Yeah, yeah. and it's a shame that they will not see the light of day. Some of with my the wider community. Some of my favorite games of this generation are on the Wii U. Yeah. but do you remember the the red micro Wii that they released in I think like. Canada only. Yeah. Why? Why only in Canada? Why not 
have a, a full North American and European release for that thing. Like, Nintendo just do these batshit crazy ideas. Like, I think they have... Yeah, which I think I'm getting my mini NES in the post next week. They have a fucking revolving dartboard and they just throw, like, <laughs> just random ideas. And sure, How about this? We'll, we'll, sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and this is another one. Like, you Anyway, would... apparently Miyamoto is developing uh, an untitled new IP for the Switch. That he's not telling anybody about. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Go fucking why not? I, I mean, of their ideas, that's one of the least crazy ones. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know how much of this is, um, like, because the general rule is that consoles, uh, the developers, they sell consoles at a loss yeah. with the idea of making a large install base. Yeah, but halfway through the generation, then, there comes a sweet spot where you start making bank on it. Yeah. Now, I wonder with the Wii U, is that, like the tablet the itself. The PS4 kind of books that trend because they're making money hand over fist on that fucker. No, I said the general rule, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, the PS4 is making money not because they weren't selling at a loss, they were, it's because they so quickly outdid all their targets for that they yeah. started making money. As I said, the general rule. Yeah. So I wonder with the Wii U whether, like, the, because of the tablet or some something to do with the architecture. The or, fucking buying it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But just the actual hardware itself, I'm wondering what the the cost incentive is for them to drop the price, if there is any, which apparently there's not. Well, we'll know. If the Switch comes out and they still don't drop that price significantly, then that thing is just even more dead in the water than it already is. It's I Because at this rate, the Switch will come out and it won't be that much more expensive than the Wii U, which is astonishing. I, Could you I imagine said, if the PS4 came out and it was only like 50 quid more than the PS3? I have said all along that the Wii U is this generation's Dreamcast in that uh, it's this crazy piece of tech that's doing things differently to its competitors. That people will look back fondly on in hindsight. But people will look back on fondly on, but they botched its arrival um, in terms of the, the marketing and whatever else. Uh, and yeah, and then in 10 years' time, people look back and say, oh yeah, that was a really good console, when I already know now. And, like, people that have a Wii U and have games like Mario Maker, uh, Mario uh, 3D World, Mario Kart, Mario Smash, Kart, Bayonetta Smash, Bayonetta. I still need to finish Bayonetta 2, Captain Toad, Donkey Kong Freeze, all these games that are fucking incredible. Wonderful 101. And really thinking about it, unless they have the architecture in place that you can digitally download these games, which, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to buy these games again. Um, I'd buy a couple. Maybe. I mean... I'd buy Smash again because we won't get another Smash for a few years. No, um, but the simple I'd... fact is, maybe Mario Kart had a push. But the simple fact is, these games are going to be locked away essentially on the Wii U. Yeah, and that's going to be a crying shame. Yeah, it really is. Moving on, uh, we'll talk about things that don't sell well. This is a nice one-two punch. Uh, Street Fighter Five sold less than one hundred thousand units since May of this year. That is incredible. MCV again here. Capcom's financial report has revealed that less than 100,000 copies of Street Fighter V have shipped since May. Back in May, the publisher reported that it had shipped 1.4 million copies of Street Fighter V since the game's launch in February. Overnight, the company updated its financial results but kept the 1.4 million copies shipped number, meaning that less than 100,000 units have shipped between May and September 30th. This is well below the target Capcom set for themselves as they initially wanted to ship 2 million units before the end of March. Of course, the disastrous launch will have had an impact on this. Street Fighter V was released, but no story mode was missing key features, leading to many not purchasing the game at launch. Launch. Since then, new features on the story mode have been patched in, but this doesn't seem to have impacted on sales. The news comes as a bit of a shock, as the Street Fighter V esports scene has been doing quite well. Many of the major events have seen high viewer counts, and companies such as ESL have increased their support for the game in recent months. 
I've every time that Street Fighter comes up in this show, we say the same things every single time. The game was created and released with a particular market in mind, and that market loved that game. Do you know the thing was? If that game had come out full on launch, I would have bought it because I liked everything about how the game looked, yeah, and what everyone was saying about how it felt. I was like, I was interested. But here's the thing, right? And then I read. But here's the thing. So I have Street Fighter Five now. Yeah. I played it for a few days and it just doesn't do it for me. Mm. It it's fast. It's very snappy, but. At this point, I prefer Mortal Kombat mm. uh, in terms of its actual, the actual fighting mechanics, and uh, you know, Street Fighter fans out there will justice coming out soon as well. Yeah, Street Fighter fans out there will hate me for it, and hey, whatever. But you have your game, and you're happy with that. But haters gonna hate. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the game is enjoyable to watch, you know, and the the esports community is very, very is buzzing for it. Um, I wonder what view accounts are for that kind of thing. Um, I'd, I'd like to look that up and see because the thing about that is I, I would think sometimes that, that can be kind of a misnomer because yeah. sometimes what I will do is like the games I watch most people play are games I have no intention of playing hmm. so I watch two best friends playing all the really bad Silent Hill games that I will never want to play myself um, a lot of the time I really go out of my way to tune into some like whole giant bomb playthroughs of things are when they're games I don't intend on playing myself yeah. Like but, when they do the Mario Party party. <laughs> but what I was thinking here is like, so Street Fighter sold like 1.5 million copies essentially. Say a million people are watching uh, Evo or the, some kind of Capcom sponsored event with Street Fighter Five. So, well, there's a good chance that those million viewers or however many viewers are pretty just people already with the community that have Street Fighter Five. Mm. So it's become a very sort of niche, compact environment that within that environment is buzzing. There's a lot of good feedback. There's a lot of, you know, a thriving community. But outside of it, everyone's like, eh, whatever. Um, and that's kind of where I am with Street Fighter Five. So we have now the list of... Uh games that are going to come with enhanced patches for ps4 pro to optimize visuals and things like that when they come out i'm just gonna i'll go through the uh the list here these are the ones that are gonna be able to launch is next thursday the 10th of november i am getting a ps4 pro because my playstation 4 as i think i said before on the show my playstation 4 is on its last legs and i was humming and hawing for a long time would i go pro would i go slim and for me, I was leaning towards the Pro because, as I said to you off the air anyway for sure, I want to get a, the kind of the, the console that has the best components under the hood so I am less likely to need to replace this thing again before the end of the console cycle. I'd rather spend... Whenever that might be. I'd rather spend like, you know, 90 odd quid more now than pay another 300 in a couple of years. Uh, so I've got a PS4 Pro paid off waiting for me to collect next week uh, not on next week's show but the week after I'll have my nice review of it and the thing that finally tipped me over and going yeah I'm definitely going for that over the slim is when they announced that yeah it is a fully customizable hard drive so I can slot in my 2TB hard drive straight away the list of games available from launch with uh, optimized passages for PS4 which will offer you 4K resolution or at the very least HDR when it's scaled down from 4K mm -hmm. Battlefield 1, Bound, which is a VR game, isn't it? I have no idea. I think it's a VR game. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, which is weird. Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, Drive Club VR, FIFA 17, Firewatch. Yeah. Helldivers, Hitman, Infamous First Light and Infamous Second Sun are two surprising ones on there, except for the fact that they're first party. 
um, knack. That is the surprising one for well, me. Well, you see, the the reason I'm thinking is that Infamous and Knack are first party games, so they probably went, everybody cut your teeth on how to develop for the PS4 sure. Pro by figuring out how to make your old games compatible. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah, nice. That pretty makes the most sense. Uh, Mafia 3, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, which is going to look, like, that game is gorgeous, but my God, our decapitating orcs going to look really good <laughs> in 4K. NBA 2K17, Paragon, PlayStation VR Worlds, Ratchet and Clank, which already looked really, really nice when it came out this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, like, in terms of its environments, it's not doing anything, like, major, so it's probably yeah. a pretty easy game to yeah. just get into 4K. Hmm. Res Infinite, Riggs Mechanica... Uh, Try that again. Mechanized. Riggs Mechanized Combat League. Rise of the Tomb Raider, which is already a very pretty looking mm-hmm. game. You were playing that this week on Xbox One. Uh, I was playing it for a it's few very, days. very nice yeah. looking game, isn't it? It certainly is. Uh, Robinson, The Journey, your game. I'm going to have to play that. I yeah. need to know what it is. <laughs> Smite, Super Stardust Ultra, Elder Scrolls Online, both the Tamriel and Skyrim Special Editions. Um, what? No, that should say Elder Scrolls Skyrim Special Edition, not Elder Scrolls Online Skyrim Special Edition. That's a that's a typo from your gamer there. Last of Us Remastered, Last of Us Left Behind, sure. Playroom VR, uh, Titanfall 2, Tumble, Uncharted 4. I, It's hard for my brain to process that looking any better. <laughs> Until Dawn, Rush of Blood, that's the VR mm-hmm. Until Dawn yeah. uh, break-off kind of thing. Uh, Viking Squad, World of Tanks, and XCOM 2. It, so there's a few games in there we're actually going to be able to have a look at. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, World of Tanks, like, that's actually a thing that people enjoy. That's uh, like a, it's, a pr- it's got a pretty big community behind yeah, it. Yeah, so we'll be able to look and see what the, the prettied up versions of, like, uh, FIFA and Uncharted and Deus Ex look like. Sure, I'm curious to see what Firewatch will look like. Yeah, I'll put that back on when I get the PS4. That one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, because I'm probably going to, like, not reinstall everything because... No, which is fair. When I switched in my, my two-terabyte hard drive, I spent days downloading stuff. Yeah, you're going to chew like up our bandwidth for the month pretty yeah. easily, I imagine. Um, but yeah, that's it's cool that so many games are getting that from launch and you don't have to wait, get the thing and then wait a couple of months till the first game that's compatible with PS4 Pro. Well, it's the same as any console uh, on its launch window. You you know, you want a decent lineup of games there to But it's cool to know that with. games you already have at home. Yes. If you already had a PS4 and you're upgrading. Yes. You know, that you is... don't have to buy games with the PS4 Pro. That's that, pretty cool. That is a good thing. There yeah, is my hot take. <laughs> hot take. Indeed. Uh, that game company, you may reckon, recognize them as the minds between Flow, Flower, and Mark's particular favorite, Journey. Hell yeah. They have a new game coming out and they're starting to tease it now. And they have shown an image that looks very much like, um, kind of like, almost like a very Stonehenge stone sculpture. It looks like Studio Ghibli. Yeah, it does, kind of. Um, details on it are slim, but that game company co-founder Genova Chen noted on the studio's blog that it is a game about giving and offered a couple of other images noting that the game will be released in 2017. It looks very pretty indeed, which the, will the, shock people. The last paragraph is amazing. Uh, they're currently hiring and they're looking for a networking engineer, senior technical gameplay engineer, and they feel engineer. Oh. A feel. Someone to feel the engineer. No, I think it's an engineer who has to engineer the feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, yeah. <laughs> the last one requires a desire to create meaningful, uh, enriching experiences that touch and inspire the player. 
Oh boy, was this next one a fun story. So, Game, UK retailer, used to be in the Republic of Ireland. Um, we talked about them last week and their thing with VR. They've had another bit of a PR gaffe this week. Uh, their pre-orders went live for the Nintendo Switch, as they have in a lot of game retailers. Little bit of a difference here, though. So, to peer behind the curtain of how retailers work, when a console is announced but the price isn't given, they put a placeholder price and a placeholder date on the console so that they can put it in their system so that they can start the pre-orders. Yeah. So, when I went into GameStop, for example, this week, I pre-ordered my Switch, and their standard policy is €20 is the minimum pre-order you can put down on a console to have it reserved for you. So, I did that, and I just asked them, as a matter of fact, this is before I knew about this story. Now, in retrospect, it seems like I did some diligent research, but it wasn't. It was genuinely just, I was making conversation, and I was interested. Mm -hmm. I asked him what the placeholder price they have on the system for it was, and he said it was €549, which myself and himself both started <laughs> laughing at and went, will Nintendo fuck make a price that stupid? Yeah, because that was only, what, 50 quid cheaper than the original uh, retail value price for the PS3 or the Xbox One? It is around the same price as the PS3 was at launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms, in Euro. <laughs> yeah, it was, because the, yeah, the PS3 was around 600 Euro. Which is fucking madness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember... <laughs> I remember Brian Altano at IGN's, uh, IGN saying at the time when the PS3 prices was announced, like, they may have come out and said, it will be a million dollars. <laughs> that was how ridiculous it was. But anyway, uh, yeah, he said to me 549. We all had a good laugh at that because it's probably going to be 300 to 350, maybe 399 at a push if there is a cheaper SKU available as well on top of that. I put down my money. So game... <laughs> Game have put their dummy price, their kind of their placeholder price on it at nine hundred and ninety nine pounds sterling, ninety nine pence. Yeah, they have. Which to say that is an optimistic placeholder price is putting it mildly. That's fine. If you go into the store, that's fine. You can put down your twenty. I don't know what their minimum is. You can put down your couple of quid on there, and you've got the console. The problem comes in if you try to order through the website. Because if you try to order through the game website, it's through PayPal. It, well, it, PayPal is one of the payment options, isn't it? You can order... I remember seeing an article about the fact that you're paying through PayPal. Uh, I don't know if it's the sole option, but it is an Yeah, it is, it is definitely, and that's where this comes in. Because if you select the PayPal option on the game website, it will pre-authorize your card. So put a freeze on this amount in your bank account for £999.99. pence. So a grand will disappear from your bank account. <laughs> Oh, yeah. What do you think of that, buddy? I think it's fucking hot nonsense. <laughs> I mean, again, dumb. hot take. It's pretty dumb, my friend. Um, I mean, surely, like, why anyone would not do anything other than just kind of go into the shop and put twenty quid down, uh, just to kind of at least stake a claim on? Yeah, I, you know, I want a, a, a switch at launch. I mean, there's at least one mad person out there that has done this because. You know, some people have more money than they know what to do with. I mean, we'll, we'll, hopefully at some point you might get some figures yeah, on this. The guy in GameStop was telling me that, um, well, not the guy in that GameStop. There's a guy um, who I know that works in another GameStop who was telling me that the people have already paid off the Switch. The oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Madness. Yeah. Um, EA has restated its commitment to the Titanfall franchise for many, many years to come. This is in the wake of the news that Titanfall 2, despite being... A bloody excellent game by pretty much every review that's come out and I have seen an excellent have you seen our young friend at Golazzo Dan his uh, the video he posted no 
of uh, he he posted a video. There's a moment in the Titanfall two campaign where you like fall off a high thing and you're you're trying to catch your gun and turn around and try to maybe grapple onto something but you can't and then your Titan actually swoops in and grabs you and you give it a thumbs up and it goes like. It looks at its hand for a while and then gives a big thumbs up. <laughs> and I was like, well, this looks like an amazing game. But it's been getting like nine uh, fives and tens. Uh, review and wise, yeah, reviews. It's, been, it's been doing really, really yeah. well. But unfortunately, because of what I can only describe as stupidity, it has come out in between Battlefield, which already has an established fan base, and Call of Duty, which is which kills everything in mm-hmm. front of it. Yeah. Not, not to mention it's a Call of Duty with Call of Duty Modern Warfare attached to it this year. Yeah, and let's be fair, like... The f- Which is out at midnight tonight. The first Titanfall was received as a good game, but didn't have the largest install base because mm-hmm. it was... was, it, was Xbox One exclusive. Yeah, it was an Xbox, Xbox One exclusive. Oh, it might have been on 360 as well. Sure, but it was but Microsoft it exclusive, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, that transition over to uh, the Xbox One hasn't been that big in terms of the install base. And uh, yeah, as you said, like the Battlefield kind of community. This should have been there. This should have been Titanfall's big coming out party because there was even in the first one that didn't do very well. There was a lot of potential there. Mm. The big problem was that there was no campaign. Yes, and that was what uh, made me not want to buy it because I I had an Xbox One and I didn't buy it. I had no interest in online multiplayer. That and that that and Evolve were two ones that if they had campaigns, they probably would have had my money. Yeah, and even with this, uh, from what I hear, the campaign's only about four hours long. Like I'm probably gonna give it a good few months and try and get it a little bit on the cheap side yeah. just so I can go through the campaign and- well they're already offering now for a reduced price of Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2 to get those both EA games yeah. which is really cool if I had known that before I got Battlefield 1 which I'll be talking about next week's show and I'll be talking about Mafia 3 So they said uh, they commit to it, but did they add anything more to that? Or just... No, it's a vague thing because obviously they're not going to announce Titanfall 3. You know, so it's kind of just, no, we're sticking with Titanfall 2 because there have been rumblings that because of, despite it being excellent, it's getting killed by the games that are coming out around it. And that they might abandon trying for another one. Yeah, could they As well they should, because again, like up in like FIFA and a couple of other games like that I like to call it uh, broken leg syndrome which is characters floating around where their legs have buckled up and they yep. appear to be levitating mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that and the reason I wanted to bring this in was this and a couple of other things this week have led me to why why have we not started punishing with our wallets yet developers who will not change engines because people are stupid engines. Um, it, whatever about a remastered version of the game, right? This is more the fault of the people who bought the game originally when word had come out before the game came out that it was a hot mess on consoles. Yeah. And this is also to people who expected anything else from Fallout 4 when it came out. And this is also sort of aimed at the likes of Telltale, who I watched recently. Barry, Barry Murphy, who was on our show a couple of weeks ago, talking about The Last of Us, has a montage video that you should check out that he put on his YouTube channel of all the glitches uh, in Telltale's Batman that he's encountered, uh, which is incredible because I remember when Telltale Batman came out, they were like, we fixed it, we fixed the engine, 
No, I no. didn't. They put a band-aid over it, yeah. if that. And But this is the thing, like, going back to the last week with Bethesda. And it's like, you are the last company that should be given out to anyone yeah. um, about criticizing your games or holding back reviews because of course we're going to be saying well obviously the reason you're holding back is because your games are a mess when they come out and they don't have a track record where they can in any way defend or argue against it no uh, and you know, it's it's and like with companies like Bethesda and companies correct. like Telltale who make an, an, an enormous amount of money off their games because they're big sellers you would think that they would even dedicate a small team to researching and building a proprietary engine that actually works yeah, <laughs> like to me, if I was running the business, that's how I would do it. Because there will come a tipping point. There will come a tipping point where, when you hear Bethesda, that name would be synonymous with broken games. No, it already is. But the people that want to play those games will play those games regardless. There's... Well, I wouldn't say the entirety of Bethesda is because machine games, Wolfenstein, work perfectly. Doom, which is developed by id but under the Bethesda well, banner, I'm, I'm on about works perfectly. Actually, yeah, but the Bethesda in-house games yes, are, that's what are I mean. slowly becoming yeah. synonymous with that. Telltale Games, I would say at this point, they're at the tipping point. Mm. If the next one comes out and it's fucked, that's when we're going to start to see the bell curve start to tip down. Um, you say that. I would like to think. Um, video game... Uh, people that play video games that you know enjoy a particular kind of series of games or a particular uh, developer, they are gluttons for punishments. True enough. Well, that's the news then for this week. Um, we have we were going to have a guest on this week. Uh, schedules did not permit that to happen this week. We'll have to rearrange for the future, hopefully. Uh, but we are going to launch into a book club this week. And this week at the book club, we're going to talk about a classic, Mark. An well, I mean, they classic. usually are. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a classic upon classics. This is classic with a capital C. One of my favorite games of all time. We're going to talk about Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64 is a 1996 platform video game developed and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. Along with Pilot Wings 64, it was one of the launch titles for the console. It was released in Japan on June 23rd, 1996, and later in North America, Europe, and Australia. It is the best selling game on the Nintendo 64 with more than 11 million copies sold. An enhanced remake called Super Mario 64 DS was released for the Nintendo DS in 2004. 
In the game, Mario explores Princess Peach's castle and must rescue her from Bowser, as he always does. As one of the earlier three-dimensional platform games, Mario 64 is based on open-world playability, degrees of freedom through all three axes in space, and relatively large areas which are compromised primarily of, primarily of true 3D polygons, as opposed to only two-dimensional sprites. The game established a new archetype for the 3D genre, much as Super Mario Bros. did for 2D side-scrolling platformers. In the evolution from two dimensions to three, Super Mario 64 places an emphasis on exploration within vast worlds that require the player to complete multiple diverse missions, in addition to the occasional linear obstacle courses as in traditional platform games. While doing so, it still preserves many gameplay elements and characters of earlier Mario games. I was surprised that we hadn't already done this one. You were. There was a genuine, to take it behind the length of the cast curtain here, there was a genuine discussion in the kitchen the other night of me going, we should do Mario 64. And Mark going, but we've already done Mario 64. I said, no, it just feels like we did. Because it feels like something both of us would have gotten to first. I was thinking, like, surely this would have been our list in of the top. Games. Yeah, this would have been in the first ten games we would have done for this. Yeah, but I think, the, I think our thinking early on with the podcast was we between the two of us we would have had a temptation to be N64 heavy very quickly I think we started spacing things True. out because I think even yeah. within our first 10 we had at done least a few. two yeah yeah <laughs> alright uh, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one it's strange as well that we did Banjo-Kazooie before we did this well uh, that was on you that um, was entirely on I was forcing that issue because ba- I love me some Banjo-Kazooie yeah so. and I didn't play that till like long after we're here like Mario 64 was the first N64 game I played as you know, I imagine was uh, the, the case was for the a lot of us third game I played okay. I got Diddy Kong Racing and Lilac Wars with mine Strong. and then my auntie bought me Super Mario 64 okay. yeah no I very much had N64 and uh, Mario 64 mm. and <laughs> I'd have been fine if that was the only thing I'd ever played on the, the console mm. Uh, yeah, this is one of my favourite games ever. This is the first... Like, I've always... And part of it because of our generation and they were the most prevalent game available. I've always been partial to a platformer. But I don't think I could truly say, with the exception of maybe Super Mario World, that I was ever in love with a platformer. Until... Well, you're talking Super to your boy here, the platformer prodigy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Super Mario 64 is one like... Super Mario World... Uh, I, I can and will sometimes go back to but I don't go back to it with the same childlike glee that I go back to Super Mario 64 there's something about I think it caught me at the right time in my life that I have a lot of very very fond memories of the game um, and it, the, one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up this week it, it's the cover feature on this month's Retro Gamer which is a very good magazine for people who are interested in the things we're interested in to pick up and they talk about how one of the important things, and I, I think it's something that will will come across in this discussion, is how it, coming out so early and being so good, it became the standard bearer for all 3D games for a long, long time. And to this day, all games that are that deal in a 3D environment have some sort of thanks to pay to Super Mario figuring it out. Because we even talked in uh, recent weeks, I don't know if it was on the air or off the air, because we talk about video games so often, the pair of us, about how there are certain games that came out even in the years afterwards that still could not fucking nail how to deal with a camera in 3D space. No. Like, during that whole generation of the PS1 and the N64, and well into the fucking PS2 as well, there were games that just could not handle figuring out how the fuck to control around... The, the, the character whereas this game came out in 1996 depending on if you were in the territories it came out like it came out in 1996 in 
excuse me, in uh, Japan and America. It came out here in March 97. Um, and even that early, Super Mario 64 nailed it. Yeah. It, it completely nailed the idea of using those C buttons, which weren't really being used for anything and were very rarely utilized for anything um, intuitive on the N64, to use that to control the, the, the 3D space. But not only just that, the... The camera controlled around Mario in a, yeah. a, a natural it way. It around him. Yeah. In a, using like Kitu as your kind Which, of your kayfabe. In that kind of cameraman. 4 4 immersion sort of experience, or breaking yeah. the 4 4 was, was brilliant as well. Uh, yeah, like. Now, that's not to say it was perfect. There were still times where you'd be kind of faced uh, against a particular wall. And uh, there's. The one area in particular that I always think about is in. Um, wet dry lands where you get up to like the highest point and you got the kind of elevated platforms that you want to get across because mario is like in the far corner of the world there's like the sort of invisible wall syndrome where the camera won't let you shift around to get behind mario mm. so that's one of the few instances instances where you're kind of walking towards the camera yeah. um but other than that like for the most part you know failure does come at your hand like if you're like trying to traverse across a particular kind of area or platform you can get the camera exactly where you need to where yeah. it's close up on mario far away to the left to the right to give you the best sort of angle to get across it's also um it's one of the early games that i can remember acknowledging feeling myself getting better and more skilled at as mm-hmm. i proceeded through it i there are a few moments that have given me as much satisfaction i remember running out of the door to tell my dad how happy i was and proud of myself the first time i managed to complete the slide on cuckoo mountain without falling off it (laughs) because i was seven years old at the time and obviously to everybody the 3d environment was new but particularly to, to me at this time and having to deal with like i can go off the edges at either side um, was it the particular the, kind of parental feigned uh expression of okay yeah well done son great no my dad was a gamer oh is it oh, okay, he's the one that sat me in front of doom when i was five years old oh right doom okay. was the first game i ever played right, that's right, his right. Fault. yeah okay. i'm in this mess because yeah. i am like he's <laughs> had me playing doom commander keen gods alex kid jesus um God, what else? There was other stuff on the on old, uh, like because I used to play on MS DOS computers. I can't remember what else. There's a few others like that, but Doom was the the one. And See, your dad gave you video games and decent music. My mum gave me a broken childhood. I feel oh, this dear is just God, every time. <laughs> for fuck's sake, get through one happy book club without this. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Mario sixty four, great game. Yeah, um, the idea of giving the same level six different ways to play to mm-hmm. collect the six different stars, the including the, the the eight coin challenges, the eight red coin challenges, the is eight, uh, eight red coins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know though that um, Miyamoto like he had plans to have about forty levels in Mario sixty four. But just Could due to we'd still be playing. Oh my god! I but, but just due to the kind of sheer restraint, time restraints. And what surprised me actually is so there's a very realistic possibility, guys, that if it wasn't for the fact that Mark is going to work pretty much after we finish this, that we would be now spending the night playing the Mario sixty four. True, but what surprised me is that for the the DS release, um, that none of those kind of extra levels or any of Miyamoto's original plans kind of made it into the game. I think some be things a good that came into us. There was additional characters. There yeah, was some but, additional moves. But that was. I don't think that was uh, ever, like, from the original intention of the game. Yeah. You know? We had, um... 
there's extra stars though as well inside i'm just looking this yeah, yeah, from yeah. The, um, the the retro gamer thing they they compared the two of them they do they do say it's not just your average lazy port it's actually as far as port goes, no it's a great port yeah. it's a great port because that was one of the first nintendo ds games as well and i remember um i was in new york with a few of my friends who bought a ds outlet because it was out over there before it was out over here and i was watching with pure envy as they were playing fucking one of my favorite games of all time on a handheld console and my mind was blown by the idea of this one of the things about mario 64 and it's like some, we can start making some comparisons to some of the, the later 3d mario games because they're all excellent in one way or another but i don't feel that any of them have retained that full level of control that you get from mario mario 64 and there's different reasons for that whether the kind of initial the intention of what the nintendo were going for in some of the later games or like the inclusion of flood in game in uh, mario sunshine meant that the long jump was no longer necessary yeah. because otherwise you'd be doing a long jump and then using flood Gliding. to get yeah. you know you'd be halfway across the level but with mario you've got the long jump the backflip the side jump the triple jump the slide the slides you know all of these maneuvers get you and like if you watch any speed run of mario 64 i always love the triple jump it's fucking frightening some of the maneuvers that people can pull off to get mm. to certain areas like where you would have to kind of go all the way around the level to get up to the top there are people pinging up there in like 30 seconds yeah. there's some amazing stuff like even this week uh, have you seen the story that came up this week that someone found a coin that no one had ever collected i read before? about that yeah yeah, that was kind of just... I imagine it was a coin that wasn't intended to be included and it just kind of just disappeared into uh, an asset somewhere. Yeah, someone managed to collect that coin. Yeah, um, and so with that and on top of some of the stuff you were saying earlier, like it's incredible when you go back and look at games on um, the PlayStation around this time. Like, uh, There's not a lot of PlayStation games that have aged gracefully. Like We were playing Tomb Raider and that Ooh. first one is... A fucking shambles but playstation at least had tomb um uh, crash bandicoot yeah. now the there's there's only a handful of games i could think of that have aged very well from playstation one whereas most of the games i have from the n64 yeah. i could still play now but like crash bandicoot as a platform Perfect as well Derek probably an exception uh, the hd version on xbox one is really good sure yeah the original version is choppy um but even still like crash bandicoot is a is a great platforming game we've had it on here but it still doesn't come anywhere close to doing what you know mario 64 does um and yeah and as i said like just it a lot of it i think just comes down to the way that mario controls i think that's the big the big thing about this game and for a game that came out in 1996 and for it to control the way it does and i think you know like you can go up to the the last generation um and you still find games platforming games that just are either lazy in their design and it's all kind of very context sensitive now to maneuver from platforms to platforms mm. um or just the the general kind of movement of the characters just feel sluggish when mario is just kind of light and nimble for a fat plumber that's right. who's apparently only 26 years old apparently so apparently so um one of the other things that i think is really great about this and it's something that has been common throughout a lot of mario games is the music yeah and this obviously utilizing the most of the, the extra space in those n64 cartridges had the most diverse and interesting musical arrangements seen to that point in the mario series and there are still a lot of songs from that game that uh i love dearly to this day 
um, Dire Dire Docks being one of my favorites. oh yeah that the underwater theme is yeah yeah um, what I like about it as well is that up until this point with the Mario games it was you'd have an overworld and you'd go from the next level to the next level in kind of a fixed path but here I mean the the, the paintings uh, yeah it's great it's such a cool feature going through the, the castle and finding the little secret things in the castle that you think to yourself ah. Oh, like you feel really good for having like the first time you look into that spotlight once you've got 10 stars mm-hmm. and you get to the level where you unlock the wing cap yeah um finding the what's the name is it where is it here i'm just looking at uh, big boo's haunt mm-hmm. find the entrance to big boo's haunt inside a big boo yeah <laughs> in the in, the, in yeah, the courtyard at the back it's a game with just so many of those kind of little tricks and secrets yeah. um and you know it has some puzzle elements you know yeah, a lot more than any other merry game to this point like um, you want to talk about games that have uh, puzzle elements I'm thinking um, Tiny Huge Island yeah where you have to figure out which painting you need to go through to kind of get to certain areas uh, Wet Dry World obviously yep. um, Tick Tock Clock fucking <laughs> fuck <laughs> yeah those last two areas the, the difficulty kind of uh, ramps up just a little bit yeah because TikTok Clock, it's weird because Rainbow Ride is the the last level, uh, the last proper level, mm. and not nearly as difficult as TikTok Clock. No. I fucking TikTok Clock is the only one I properly, properly hit a wall yeah, for, no. for a long time on, and would still give me a little bit of trouble now. Rainbow Ride is just a little bit tedious more than yeah. anything else. Uh, oh could almost say boring in some regards, but doesn't quite hit that wall. But yeah, TikTok Clock because that is. The thing with TikTok Clock is that is uh, the kind of culmination of all of the skills that you've learned throughout the game all being used in one area. You know, you have to be able to do everything to get through that. And on top of that, you need to know when to go into the clock at the right time to get the gears and the mechanics moving at a particular speed. Um, and that's, that's you know, fucking this game, for it to come out in 996, and we keep hopping on about that, but... What it does, the vision it has for one of those early 3D games, and those little tricks by, um, you know, depending on how you jump into the painting, completely changes how the world looks, how the world behaves, is just, you know, and the fact is, Mario games have been pretty much using all of their design uh, kind of ideas and features off of Mario 64 since. I mean, they've brought back the overworld mm. from the 2D Mario for, games. Yeah, particularly for the um, the new Super Mario Brothers games. Yeah, and like the 3D world games, they use mm. that kind of yeah. thing. Um, but up until that point, you know, the the way that you get into areas, they didn't really do it so much with with Galaxy. Um, but it's just it's just incredible that they had that kind of vision at, back at that time. And you know, other companies were, other the developers were taking years. It's a game where, if that exact game with that exact design, but with contemporary visuals, came out now, it would still be an astonishingly good game. This the thing, like I still think it controls as well back then as it does now. You know, it has not, other than obviously the the polygonal figures look a little bit kind of archaic now, but Hmm. even compared to, so Mario Free. Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time were based off of the same engine, but obviously, you know, they were both heavily modified. But the original Ocarina looks kind of dated now. It looks yeah. pretty kind of uh, murky in places. It's a very murky-looking game. Where Mario 64 looks still very kind of clean, pristine. It's the colour palette that helps there yeah. a lot. Like, yeah. it just pops. Um, and it, has, it looks like an N64 game, but mm. it just doesn't 
have the age of an N64 yeah. game. Do you know what I find similar, and I know I keep harping on a bit, but I find a similar thing with Banjo-Kazooie, which obviously has an awful lot of a debt to be uh, paid to Mario 64 for paving the way with those kind of uh, platformers on that console. But I think those games where they offer you tight controls of the character combined with real colourful visuals and an interesting visual style and... Um, great sound and music those are kind of some of the common features of a lot of those n64 games that still hold up today i think yeah and i think um the the kind of the biggest amount of praise and the most amount of praise you can put on mario 64 is how influential it is Mm -hmm. like pretty much all 3d platformers have whether inadvertently or otherwise taken some element or mechanic from mario 3d you know Mm. it's uh it's like it's like the black sabbath of uh of 3d platformers you know everything that's come after it yeah. in some way or another it all harkens back to that yeah. kind of original pinpoint yeah like a zeppelin or something yeah yeah like yeah like beetles yeah, yeah sure um yeah anything anything more i can't really it's just it's perfect it's as close to perfect as as one of those games can get now so we've done Mario. Also, can I say, and I think I've brought this up once. I don't know if I brought it up on the air or not. I'd just like to point out this game is so playable and so addictive when you start playing it, no matter what way you start playing it, that I completed a 120 star run on a PC on a PC emulation using my keyboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get a controller. I didn't have a controller. <laughs> I just used my my uh, my custom mapping on my keyboard and did a 120 yeah. star run. I did a, a video playthrough a couple of years ago. And I was using my Xbox 360 controller, uh, but it, it's actually manageable. It's one of the few 64 games where you can kind of map it. So, it yeah, I imagine works. it's available on the Wii U Virtual Console. I imagine it maps reasonably well to the Pro Controller. I, uh, you'd hope so. Yeah. Well, it's got the two sticks on it, so. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah. So you can use one of them for the C buttons. Yeah. Um, now we have done Mario. Uh, so Mario 64 and Mario World I yeah. think they're the only two Mario games we've done up mm-hmm. to this point so here's the the question for you which one do you prefer for me it's Mario 64 yep same uh, and I think an awful lot of that is possibly generational mm-hmm. I think Super Mario 64 was the game of the Mario game of our generation it hit us at the right time as kids because I think we would have been too young when Mario World came out to really well, I mean I was around and i was playing mario world yeah. but i think i don't know maybe i had a couple of extra it's years also that, of it's also that for kids as young as we would have been at the time it's that little bit too complex as mario 64 probably would have been for kids younger than us yeah um that maybe we didn't appreciate mario world in the way that kids a couple of years older than us would have could have been i just remember moving around that environment like in that kind of 3d landscape blew my tiny little mind yeah. you know yeah um well that ends uh ocarina of time and then you know all the other 64 the games all the other 64 games that would come afterwards um yeah. much as i love my ps4 and much as i loved my ps2 back in the day and things like that i still think if i was uh, stranded on a desert island and could only bring one console with me there's very very strong likelihood it would be the n64 oh if you want to put down to like one game to bring with you yeah this is up there yeah i mean i'm trying to think how many times i've completed this game i'm already hurrying for you to wrap it up so i can hook up my n64 yeah. and play it. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, give us your elevator pitch there, Mark. Cool. Because obviously there's not really much to be said in terms of negatives for this game, so let's just go straight on to the... Look, I mean, I think it's fair to say that most people that have played a console at some point have probably played Mario 64. And if they have a you should put yourself in front of it. I mean, it's available on just about every Nintendo and platform it's, in some if form you want to be authentic about it, it's not that hard to track down N64s. Most of those things are fucking nuclear fallout proof. Most of them still work. Yeah, and there's a lot of copies of Mario 64 going about, and it's not the most expensive cartridge to get your hands on. They were actually on. talking about that on the Bombcast last week, is that there's a lot of consoles that if you just leave them idle for years, or if they've just been around for years, they just won't work anymore. Yeah, they just break no, down no. after a while. But um, N64s and the the the, the latter model SNESs, not the yeah, not the, original SNES, the yeah. not the Super Famicom ones, but the SNESs, sure. mm-hmm. um, those ones could survive a nuclear winter. Yeah, um, I have never had a problem with N sixty four, and that... I bought that thing nearly twenty years yeah, ago. Yeah, mine's sitting there right now in front and of it's me. It's not and... like I have the thing preserved in bubble wrap; it's in a drawer. Yeah. I mean, mine's sitting there. It's still got the fucking Pikachu sticker that I put on back in like '98, and yeah, mine still has a Nintendo official magazine yeah. sticker on it. I think um, it's still got the Paris on. Why the fuck did I put Paris on it? I don't know. You're one of those weird alt kids, which are yeah, Paris is my favorite. Yeah, um, the the DS version is great as well, and it lets you like jump around as Wario in wow Mario 64, <laughs> which I think in itself is a selling point. Also, you got to talk about the. Sorry, before we finish off, the the incredible, um, the kind of the, almost the the urban legends of what was going to happen when you got 120 stars in the yeah. game. You know, when you're a kid, <laughs> what was going to happen? Like we all saw the pictures of Yoshi, and it's what happens with Yoshi? Can you use Yoshi mm-hmm. then? Unfortunately, that's not the case in the original version. Yeah, I like the idea. You get that... to meet him, and that that is great for me because God, I love Yoshi. I like the idea that there's all these urban legends about in a game like Mario where you might meet Yoshi where the urban legends in a game like Tomb Raider is you can take Lara's clothes off. Yeah. Video game is a... Eh. Yeah. They're <laughs> a great bunch. And all you had to do to spread the urban legends in Mario 64 was have that one cannon that you can't get to until you have 120 stars yep. and that just set everybody off. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there was a long time that there was a certain amount of... There was a certain command you, prompt you could put in to start playing as Luigi and all sorts of things like that. But, uh, yeah. It's a perfect game. Wrap it up because we yeah. can just talk for sure. ages about it. No, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, so I guess it's up to me to announce the game for next week. Yes. Yeah, Mario 64 was on you. Yeah. Uh, I am going to take us back to what I believe will be the oldest entry in our series yet. Older than Super Metroid. Older than Super Metroid. Ooh. I'm taking us back to May 22nd, 1980. Oh, here he goes. Yeah. There was a... Uh, there was a little uh, developer called uh, Toru I- Iwatani, if I pronounced that correctly, uh, and a little company called Namco. Mm. And so one day he was sitting down and he had a pizza and okay. he took a slice of that pizza away. And then started going, waka, 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 waka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next week, I think we should talk about Pac-Man. Pac-Man, and that's another glorious opportunity to insert more Scott Pilgrim sound clips into the podcast. Hell, that's the yes. <laughs> yes. I can do, I, I can get behind that based, if on nothing else, than the fact that I have a set of Pac-Man coasters. Excellent. There we go. Sorted. Excellent, yeah. Cool. Pac-Man for next week's podcast. That has been episode 43 of Link to the Cast. Please follow us. Linktothecast.eu is the website. It's where you can check out everything. It's where our content is centralized. And you can have a look at the show notes. All sorts of good stuff like that. 
facebook.com forward slash link to the cast i'm at link to the cast on twitter is where you should follow us on social media you will be alerted then as and when content is posted soundcloud.com forward slash link dash to dash the dash cast or search for us on your podcast provider of preference we're on i, I think we're on downcast i don't use downcast but I'm yes sure we, are. we are we are on podcast addict itunes anything that uses the itunes uh, search engine to pull podcasts we are on that just search for link to the cast we come up there please uh, subscribe download give us a rating and a review that would be fantastic we are on YouTube as well. Search for Link to the Cast and we come up as one of the top search results there. We tend to be bobbing between the first and third search results. We are generally speaking the first channel search result for Link to the Cast if you want to refine your search results. Subscribe to us there. We have content. Mark, we have a weekly content schedule that goes up Monday to Friday. Now, things have been a bit fucked this week so far because our internet was down from Friday of last week until Tuesday night. Was Did we get any announcement that it was coming or just... Not until after the fact. And then when you and uh, you and or Dan contacted them over the weekend, that pre-recorded message was the first I had heard of it. Right, okay. Um, I was off at the graps and you told me when I got back that it had happened. Um, which is great mm-hmm. uh, but now it seems to be back stably I was going to start catching up on streams yesterday but um, it was still a bit choppy but it seems to be back in running order today touch wood generally speaking our schedule is Monday starts with Mark on Mondays Mark you're playing Tumba I moment. certainly am how's that going? it's fine other than I couldn't uh, I recorded my second episode but then when I went to upload it it was the day that the internet went down so yeah. Also, we've had some issues with Twitch this week. Twitch has been a bit of a bastard. We spent a couple of hours streaming things on Twitch and the stream archives disappeared. Yeah. That uh, was apparently a bug that was going around last week because it happened to Kind of Funny as well. They lost lost a couple of episodes of Colin and Greg Live because of it. Oh. Um, so I knew it wasn't just us. Okay, that's, um, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, that it wasn't us, it was definitely Twitch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tuesday is usually when articles and stuff like that go up. Um, couldn't do that this week because I needed YouTube to do it. I'm looking into something I was... I, I'm not going to uh, go too deep into it, but something I was talking about earlier on the podcast, I'm looking into doing an article okay. on. Right. But I need to look at some people play some games on YouTube sure. because okay. I don't want to go through pl- buying a bunch of games to do it. We also put up an old book club, usually on a Tuesday. What, uh, what, did, what are we... Can't come up anything. Um... Yeah, we couldn't put up anything because we had no uh, thing. We'll have another one up on Tuesday yeah. this coming week. Wednesday is uh, generally linked to the cast plays, but that's on hiatus at the moment as we recover from playing Beyond Two Souls. So we replaced that in the interim with a little mini-series that we're calling Down With The Witness, where Mark is playing through Jonathan Blow's puzzle game The Witness and attempting not to go crazy. We have a new episode of that coming up uh, we should have put that up yesterday we didn't no so yeah, we should when he came back properly last night so we will we will put that up and that should be up by the time you listen to this I'll actually go put it up when you're editing this podcast hooray uh, Thursday is the day that just the podcast comes out on its own um, that's the only thing you'll get to listen to that day there's enough of it to listen to and Friday is Friday of Plays where I play through something on my own or in the case of the last two weeks Mark is sitting in out of curiosity we're playing Life is Strange which I have to fucking redo thanks to Twitch yay we completed episode one on a playthrough we were going to post it last Friday before the internet went but even before the internet went when we went to export it privately to YouTube Twitch fucked us and lost it um Suffice to say, we won't just skip ahead. I will go back, get back to the point we finished the first playthrough on, and I'll just do it again. Sure. 
So that's going to be a fun Friday for me, having already played through it once. <laughs> but uh, that is the commitment we make to quality. Also keep an eye out over this weekend, because this weekend, uh, barring any sort of uh, scheduling conflicts, is when we intend to start powering through Hitman. Um, because that is going to feature in some Game of the Year discussions and is also a mini-series that we have been neglecting for a long time mm-hmm. with the Shitmen. So keep an eye out for some of that coming up real soon. Individually, that man over there, Mark Robinson, is at Lithium Project on the tweet box. I am at Dave Ryan IV. Once again, it's at Link to the Cast to check out all our shit. Thank you for listening to episode 43 of Link to the Cast. Thank you for your download or for your stream, however you choose to watch it. And look after yourselves. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Take care of yourselves and each other.